0: I'm Emma Legan, a graduate student in the Anthropology Department at The Ohio State University. Thank you for joining us for the third series, A Story of Us, Our Humanity, History, and Department.
1: Hi, I'm Alex Tuggle. This podcast is hosted and produced entirely by the graduate students at The Ohio State University's Anthropology Department. As we mentioned in the introduction episode, this series will focus on death. For anthropologists, it is important to understand all aspects of human life and culture, and death is a very important aspect of both.
0: When someone passes away, it can cause a change in family structures, especially if it is the leader of a family. Death often creates a liminal space, or a time between two different phases due to the disruption in structure.
1: A small-scale example of this kind of disruption is the matriarch or patriarch of one family passing away, and the internal family struggle to deal with the loss. The grief comes first, and then at some point the group transitions to figuring out who steps into that role. We could talk about this
0: on an even larger scale. Think about the death of a powerful king or queen. There can be major geopolitical ramifications due to the power shift.
1: True, and the power of personality that a ruler may wield can lead to sincere grieving and anxiety for the future on a national level.
0: There can be awkwardness and fear in how to deal with these changes. How do you go from grieving to putting all of the pieces together and moving on?
1: The funeral can act as the event that separates the period of grief and moving on, giving everyone the opportunity to grieve, process, and celebrate the life of the person who has passed on. Every
0: culture has its own unique way of processing death, and there can be surprising contrasts. However, there are also many cross-cultural
1: similarities. Two very different examples would be the mourning practices of the Victorian and the more modern Irish and Irish-American populations. Victorians had long periods of mourning and wore black to signal to other people that they had recently suffered a loss. The Irish and Irish Americans often have a wake, or a party, before the funeral that celebrated the deceased person's life.
0: The practice of a wake began because of the tradition of sitting with the body. Over time, this family gathering transitioned into a party where there are both serious and high-spirited celebrations of the deceased's life. According to one of the other grad students in the department, her Irish family will have a more serious part of the wake where they will share stories and prayer that will be followed by karaoke and pole tournaments at a local bar to celebrate the individual's life in a more light-hearted fashion.
1: This is quite a contrast to the somber and stern Victorian practices. However, it bears a lot of resemblance to the New Orleans tradition of musical funerals. A brass or jazz band will march with the mourners from the home to the funeral, playing slow and mournful dirges, but once the deceased is in their final resting place, the band will play hymns at a more upbeat tempo. Going back to the Victorians, upon the death of a child, parents would save a lock of their child's hair and incorporate it into jewelry. Some wealthy Victorians would even have photographs taken of their recently deceased child as if they were sleeping. This could be compared to some primate mothers who will carry their deceased baby for days after it has died. Letting go can be very difficult. So far we've discussed how the living commemorate or celebrate their dead by their actions,
0: but how a person is buried is also very important. Their grave or monument can tell us a lot about
1: the person and the culture to which they belong. I'm sure that many of you have heard of King Tut and his fabulous tomb that was found in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. He was buried with beautiful inscriptions and paintings that instructed him on how to travel into the afterlife.
0: Many gorgeous objects contained in the tomb were also meant to serve the king in his afterlife. Grains and other foods were meant to sustain him on his journey, and models of boats, houses, animals, and people were meant to be of assistance to the king in the afterlife.
1: King Tut's elaborate tomb, as well as others, have allowed anthropologists and other scientists to understand more about the Egyptian culture at the time of his entombment as well as the king himself. Archaeologists and
0: anthropologists are not always that lucky, especially when an individual was buried that long ago, but how the body was laid out, the grave goods, and the type of grave can still provide a lot of information.
1: The position of the body can give archaeologists a clue to the time period and possibly the religion of a buried individual. During different periods, bodies might be more likely to be put to rest in a fetal position. And in others, it might be more common to lay the individuals flat on their back.
0: Yeah, I'm actually working on a project right now where bodies were always buried with their face turned toward the sun. So because of that, you can tell which season the individual died in because the sun moves throughout the sky during the year.
1: Oh, cool. The type of grave goods found near the body can also provide a lot of information. As we talked about in our first series about migration, Pottery can give information about how long ago it was made and what culture it represents. Comparing the ceramic style and material can give researchers a good idea about how long ago the person was buried and what society they belonged to. A lack of grave goods can also give insight. Christians and Muslims tend to bury their dead very simply with no grave goods as part of the tradition of their respective religions. So, while a simple grave with no goods may not offer clues to a person's status in society, it can indicate the religion of the individual.
0: Which brings us to a very interesting case study of an individual, referred to as the Prittlewell Prince, buried in Saxon England that has caused much debate between
1: archaeologists. Saxon England spans from 410 to 1066 AD. During the excavation of a nondescript piece of land between a rail line and a road, archaeologists found the remains of an elaborate and intact tomb dated to the Saxon period by its many various artifacts. Only fragments of the teeth were left on what appeared to
0: be the remains of a decayed wooden board within a large room. The remainder of the skeleton had decayed due to the acidic soil. Two gold crosses were also found in this area of the tomb.
1: The rest of the room was filled with elaborate and highly prestigious items, some of which had obviously been imported from places as far away as the Baltic, Italy, and Syria. The lavish goods included in the burial indicates that the person was of noble birth, possibly
0: a Saxon king. Moreover, the inclusion of such goods makes it seem more likely that the person was pagan, even though Christianity had arrived in England during the time range that the tomb had been dated to.
1: However, some archaeologists point to the inclusion of the two gold crosses and the fact that the body appears to have been laid out in a simple way in one section of the room as a sign that this was a Christian noble. There can't be any certainty at
0: the moment due to the fact that there is currently no way to refine the date range. However, some have gone back through ancient records to see if there was a way to reconcile the conflicting data.
1: Looking through historical documents from the dates indicated by the artifacts, researchers have identified three generations from the same hereditary line who could have been the Prittlewell Prince. The oldest, or grandfather if you like, is supposed to have willingly converted to Christianity. However, his three sons were staunchly pagan. In this case, the idea is that the sons could not bury their father
0: without the rich and impressive collection of grave goods befitting the burial of a traditional Saxon king.
1: Remember that burying such artifacts was a show of wealth and power. Think back to when we discussed the liminal or in-between space created by death and the transitions that come with it. The loss of the ruler could signal instability. Such a lavish display would remind the population of the family's power. Proponents of this argument go on to suggest that, even though the tomb,
0: when taken as a whole, is extravagant, the simple laying out of the body in a wooden coffin or on a board with only two gold crosses shows that the sons recognized his Christian religion.
1: There are other theories as to the identity of this Saxon noble, but what we want to show you is that mortuary practices can give anthropologists many clues as to the identity of a person, especially when you have so many artifacts and historical documents then it can be like a big logic puzzle.
0: Most graves won't always give us the ability to pinpoint specific names of individuals, but the architecture of their graves and the grave goods they include can help anthropologists determine what time period and interpret what culture, religion, and social status an individual identified with.
1: Both the examples of King Tut and the Saxon noble are rare cases whose deaths warranted, according to their respective cultures, large and conspicuous monuments to their lives. We do tend to think of monuments as imposing and expensive
0: structures, and it is true that the more widespread a person's importance, the larger and more extravagant their final resting place may be. However, we must remember that any marking of a grave is a monument to someone, as it indicates the last resting place of someone very important to them.
1: So far, we have discussed how social status and religion can affect the type of burial an individual receives. The age at which a person passes away can also affect how monumental a burial they receive. As we touched on in the last series about childhood, children are viewed differently depending on the culture and the time period they lived in. In some cultures,
0: children had very little importance because they had not yet had time to contribute to society. In series 2, episode 3B, Melissa Clark and Katie Markline also talked about the fact that during some periods in history, children frequently died. A culture might discourage ornate mournings for such a common
1: occurrence and have minimalistic monuments to these children. However, in some cultures, especially hierarchical ones, children born to important adults can have high status. In these cases, you could see larger graves or tombs with very high-status funerary goods for children. These differences are referred to as achieved versus ascribed status. In societies
0: that focus on achieved status, the individual's accomplishments are what gives them their status. However, in cultures with ascribed status, individuals can have higher or lower status simply because of their parentage or circumstances of birth.
1: However, status isn't the only reason to study age at death. Age at death is also very important in forensic anthropology and studies of paleopathology and frailty.
0: Forensic anthropologists use age at death to help them determine the identity of the individual. They can determine an age range of an individual by using the methods focused on growth discussed during the last series, but those only help for juveniles.
1: Biological anthropologists can age adults whose bones have stopped growing and completely fused by studying the degradation of the skeleton. As we move and go about our lives, our bones are mechanically loaded, which causes stress. Our guest Jesse Goliath talked about this in Series 2, Episode 2b in more detail.
0: Forensic anthropologists can use these various methods to age skeletal remains. This is very helpful if an individual is found dead under unknown circumstances.
1: Once age is established, forensic anthropologists can use it to narrow down the list of missing people, and along with other information, it can be used to identify the person. We also mentioned that frailty
0: is another reason
1: that anthropologists study age at death, but we will hold off discussing that topic until next time. So, the next time you hear from Emma and me, we will be discussing frailty and how that can affect an individual's likelihood of death. In the meantime, subscribe to the podcast and like us on Facebook,
0: Instagram, and Twitter at A Story of Us, OSU or check out our website,
1: anthropology.osu.edu. And leave a review of the show. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find the show. As always, this podcast is produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association.
0: We hope you join us next time as we continue to explore A Story of Us, our humanity, history, and department.